You're either you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. Welcome aboard. It's episode 10 of Ride the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota. Ben Gistlison, Joey Goldstein, and apologies are due uh, to our listeners that may have been wondering where we were last week. We had our first week of a surprise no episode. We took a week off early because of the 4th of July. That was planned. This one was not as planned. Not that we want to spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about issues, but it was really Murphy was running rampant. Murphy's law w- was hitting us last week. What could go wrong did, did go wrong yeah. trying to schedule things. We had uh, travel issues. We had illness issues. It just it wasn't meant to be for an episode last week, unfortunately. Yeah. It, listen, it's life. These things are <laughs> going to happen. Uh, yeah, there was just nothing we could do about it. I, I was out of town, my flight back got all screwed up, and then we thought we had it, we we're going to make it work, and then Allie was feeling under the weather, Allie Brown was our guest this week, feeling under the weather, so we had to move it again, and it's just, rather than scrap it and throw something together last minute that we weren't happy with, that you guys wouldn't enjoy, we said, you know what, let's do it the right way. So we put it off, and here we are this week doing it right. And episode 10, we thought no better of a way than to delve back into the archives of of the Iowa Wild, someone who's been here for all 10 seasons and really done almost everything there is to do to help bring the organization to where it is today, and that is Vice President of Business Operations, Allie Brown. Yeah, and she was great. Memory's not fantastic, but I can't fault her for that because you know what? Mine is no good either. Well, and so, think about all she has crammed in there. Yeah, there's a lot to think back on. And I there you know, some of the questions that, that we asked, I don't know if I'd be able to answer those the same way if I was – or a different way, I should say, if I was with an organization for nine years like that. I mean, there are things that I think back to. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the Sharks organization. There's a lot of things that I don't remember about my first season working in professional sports either. So uh, I, I certainly can't fault her there, but it's – you, you talked about it in the interview. She's someone who leads from the front, and that's such an, a, a key trait for a, a leader, a people manager. Like you you, you want to be someone who's not above everybody else. If, if it's something you got to get your, get your hands dirty, you'll do it. She's with us after games. We're breaking things down on the concourse. She's the first one to be rolling up banners and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So it sets a good example for the whole staff. Uh, and I think everybody sees that and kind of, uses that as kind of a, not motivation, but kind of models themselves after that. Back in the studio for the first time as well, uh, in a few weeks, we had the fair cast, which I think by all accounts was a big success considering how loose it was and how unscripted it was. Not that this is scripted by any means, but this is a lot more formal studio lights. It's maybe a little more put together, not as jumbled as yeah. things were for the fair cast, but I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I thought uh, we really, especially in the content side, got to see you come out of your shell. Not that you've been in your shell on the podcast, but tell us more about how much you, I think, specifically enjoyed the content that we put out going around. You had the cowboy hat. You were all in for that day out yeah. at the fair. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed sitting back. I kind of took backseat in that and yeah. said this is joey's time to run i yeah that stuff's fun i mean i like doing the man on the street type stuff yeah. i watch videos like that all the time and um i've been kind of the person behind the scenes helping with that stuff but when i find myself behind the scenes doing that i'm more like instructing like hey do this mm-hmm. say this ask this question so it was nice to not have to give the instructions just do it um but i also felt like it was important to have you there because oh, I wouldn't have missed I am, it. I am like Ben is the face for the Iowa Wild. He's our he's our frontward facing kind of kind of guy. Everybody knows knows Ben. And you know the players. You know the broadcaster. Nobody nobody cares about the director of marketing. We're changing that. that. We're changing that. But one no content piece at a time. And I've got no that. problem being on camera and doing things like that. So I think it was it was fun to do. I, I think there were. I mean, if you saw the man on the street video, there were probably a lot of funny moments. I do think there were a lot of pieces that just were left on the cutting room floor for timing reasons that didn't get included. One of those, I don't know if you'd call it a bet. It was kind of a bet. Uh, we challenged each other to eat fair food mm-hmm. and not like, listen, we had corn dogs. They were great. We also had more obscure corn dogs, I could say. You had an alligator corn dog. I had a rattlesnake corn dog. Was which great? Neither one was that good. I was terrified to eat the rattlesnake corn dog. 
Don't know why. Just absolutely terrified. That wasn't for show either. I could tell you no. were legitimately very nervous. Yeah, about and that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. For no reason. I'm just a giant baby sometimes, and that was just a prime <laughs> example of it. So um, we'll put that in right now. You can see it. It's. I apologize for chewing with my mouth open. I'm not apologizing for saying I was going to spit it out after I got off camera. Well, good. I'm I glad that will see the light of day then. This I is also good. don't apologize for the seafood joke that I just slid in there, which I don't know if anybody caught that, but, you know. <laughs> whatever uh but yeah it was it was fun uh i hope that we can do more more content like that but i i really enjoyed the recording at the fair the episode from the fair is bringing people on so i I hope we can do more things like that in the future whether it be um you know events that we're gonna have uh i I don't know golf tournament or finding a spot to just do a live episode one week i i I think Mm -hmm. things like that are a lot of fun so i want to be able to do that and get fans involved like we did i think that worked out really well and let's do a better job of promoting that we're going to be there i think maybe as we talked about well live when we were recording it was we maybe should have put it out in a few more channels that we were out doing this not that we didn't have people come out but i think maybe some of our fans we would have we actually i think saw more of our lukewarm fans or come to a game two three games a year type fans which listen uh, we love our season ticket holders but we love to get to know the people that only come to a few games as well but i know that some of our more diehard fans i think would show up if we maybe promoted a little better so in the future yeah as we as we try to maybe do some of these on location podcast recordings i think we'll try to give a little more leeway when we're going to go out and do these things i think it was a little tricky too i mean we're it, it was the state fair, so like yeah. that's something too. It's not just like, oh yeah, we popped out of the fair. That's that is a yeah, let's come to Buzzard Billy's. Yeah, that's yeah. like an event. You really have to prepare yourself to go to the fair. That and that's not something you just pop in for yeah, it's an not hour a while people recording. That's a day long type yeah. commitment. So um, I think that also played a factor. But yeah, we can definitely really get it out there more. I think and let people know uh, what we're doing. But yeah, we'll do more of that for sure. One thing we did not get to because it didn't play into our very loose podcast that we had at the fair was tenure tidbits. Uh, so we do want to get to that here as we're back in studio uh, presented by Explorer Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is home to one of the most vibrant arts and culture scenes in the country, not to mention world renowned shopping and entertainment. Jump into what's new and upcoming by visiting exploreminnesota.com to start planning your dream vacation. Joey, Two notes this week on our 10-year tidbits. The first one, Jesper Volstad, so far as good as advertised. He represents his home country of Sweden at the World Junior Championships in Alberta, takes home a bronze medal, and was, I think, on most ballots, the best goaltender in the tournament. Yeah, I, he, he was named best goaltender in the tournament. And I don't know if you caught any of the games or anything like that, but I, I was able to watch a couple here and there without him between the pipes. Sweden's not even close to playing for a medal. So, like, he was the reason that, they, you know, they had the success that they did. Um, I, I'm so excited to see this guy play in Iowa this year. I, I, it's going to be nice. To, not that Zane is not a, a, a quality I'm excited I'm for excited. the tandem of I them. Think I really am. Great together. I think Zane's going to be the perfect person to kind of mentor Volstead as he's, you know, turning pro and, and playing here for the first time. But when you have a goaltender who's that, you know, he's he's so high up in the prospect pool, which I don't know that many teams have goaltenders who are like that. When you have someone who's that highly touted, it, it's very exciting to see. And that's it's not a position like, you know, a center or a defenseman who, you know, they're on off the ice. This guy's on the ice the entire game, mm-hmm. so you're never going to miss him. Uh, and you can easily see how the kind of impact he's going to have on a game. And the confidence that a team can have whether you have Zane McIntyre or Jesper Volstead in goal, I think about that. It may not matter what night. Yep. If McIntyre is hot, they'll ride him. If Volstead's hot, they'll ride him. Maybe it'll be back and forth all year. I. Mm-hmm. That's something that I'm not sure. And we, again, we haven't seen Volstead here. We he, there will be lumps. There will be a learning curve. Yep. As good as he is. Um, and I guess you never know. He could step in and be an all-star caliber player from day one. We'll see. But I'm trying to think back, and I, I don't I don't know. I guess maybe at one point Hammond and Kakinen, I think about that, and that was a season that has been talked about a lot. Playoff season 2018-2019, that was the tandem. Um, you could see that, but you could almost argue that 
perhaps Volstead is an even more exciting prospect that, than Kakinen was. Yes, Kakinen did, of course, win the Baz Bastion Award as the goaltender of the year. We get to see if Volstead could put up those kind of numbers to do that, but that could be a little bit of what fans see this year with McIntyre and Volstead as your one and your two or your 1A, your 1B, whatever you want to call them, and that's such a healthy way to win hockey games to have a staple tandem in the back end because it's just in today's NHL, AHL hockey, it, you, you don't see goalies playing 50 games, no. 60 games anymore. No, no. It's just not it's not sustainable anymore. Goalies see too many shots these days, yeah. and the shots are too quality to see these days. Um, so to have ample backup options, no matter who it is, if it's McIntyre on a given night or to have Falstead on a given night um, or potentially yet to see could Hunter Jones battle for a, for an opportunity here. Um, so there's there's all of a sudden there seems to be a lot of options for Tim Army and for Richard Bachman, the goaltending coach at their disposal, and that to me I is super healthy. Them. I don't know. Those are tough <laughs> no, decisions to are. make, and uh, I'm glad I don't have to be the one to make them. The other tidbit, uh, another player, uh, we've talked about Volstead a lot, haven't got to talk about this player yet, we will now. Uh, Sammy Walker signs with Minnesota uh, after coming off uh, three years as the captain of the University of Minnesota, the first gopher to ever do that, and think about that program and its history. Yeah. Uh, pretty incredible program uh, behind them coming into to so many years of success that the Gophers have had. Um, I have a memory of Sammy Walker. Uh, when I was with the Buccaneers, he had a brief stint with Sioux City before and after. So he played before his senior year of high school at Edina in Minnesota and then after his senior year of high school at Edina. One of the single most dominant players I remember watching in my three years in the USHL was Sammy Walker. And I've said this to people long before he signed with mm -hmm. Minnesota, uh, but now I can talk about it again. I remember there was a few shifts where he, and this, remember he was a guy who played primarily high school that year. Sure. Um, I just, and a lot has transpired since then. This is a different level than the USHL. I understand all those things, but uh, this is a forward with immense speed and clearly he's a leadership type player. I know he was courted by a few different teams coming out of, of his of his uh, collegiate years this past summer. So to get him signed, to get him as a two-way guy who will likely spend a lot of time here, I would imagine that bolsters what's sort of turning out to look like what might be a pretty nice roster for Iowa this year. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to have somebody. I, I think the organization does a good job at finding guys who are good quality people, mm -hmm. leadership type players. And you look at a lot of guys in this roster and most of them have worn letters at some point in their, you know, competitive hockey careers. Um, I think bringing in Walker is going to be really exciting. He said he's, he's quick. He puts up points. I think to it, I love that Minnesota is able to get these guys who play locally. They're from Minnesota to stick within the organization. I think that's certainly something that's, that's really exciting, but for him to, to choose Minnesota, obviously he got drafted by Tampa Bay, but turn down Tampa Bay is not an easy thing to do, but then turn down the other teams that were courting him as well and ultimately choose Minnesota. He obviously saw something here, saw a nice path for himself to the NHL through coming here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, our team is rounding into form down yeah. here in Iowa, and I think it's going to be a very competitive one and a very talented one and a very fast one as well. Well, and to finish on that, and then we will get to Allie Brown, we had a hockey operations meeting via zoom last week uh and it was mainly logistics but tim as he always likes to do did get into a little philosophy a little bit of what the, he feels the team's going to look like this year some of the support staff uh, were sitting there going isn't this more of a kind of a coach discussion like we yeah. feel like are we even supposed to be in this discussion yeah. but that's how tim is he wants to make sure it's it's not just the coaches it's yeah. the support staff it's the, fa it's the family we are style, yep which, and yeah. so he gets into this and he had talked about how these teams that he has had have really a lot of his his roster makeup has been toughness and we saw it last year we saw it the year before leading the American leading League in penalty minutes, minutes. Yep. Um, and it's not just it's not just dumb tough it's skilled and it's tough and it, and it's it's tenacious and he said this year's look might be a, might be more predicated on speed than it is on toughness and not that they won't have toughness Brandon Baddock is back he'll yeah. play that tough card um, but I thought that was an interesting comment from Tim was that it seems to be that they're maybe making a very purposeful push towards 
being faster, towards playing with that speed. And so that was, I thought, an interesting comment that I, I wanted to share on here because if that's what the organization's trying to move forward with, that's been a path that teams have led to success recently. You look at any winners over the last five to six years at any level, and they've all had speed. Every yeah. one of them have. And what's exciting with that, too, is oftentimes you see with, with speed means you draw a lot more penalties because guys can't keep up, which means you expect a lot of your power play, and I think we've got some some highly talented yes. players who are going to run these, you know, our, our two power play units as well. So you've got to be able to capitalize and take advantage of those moments. But, uh, yeah, I'm just – I'm excited for the year and just – a little over a month out from opening night, so I can't wait. We were excited as a tandem about bringing on Allie Brown, uh, who has been here for 10 seasons, and that is the nexus of this next discussion. It is memories. It is day one. We get a lot of talk on what it was like here early, uh, the fact that they didn't have desks right away. I, Which is crazy. To, I didn't know that story. Right, That's wild. to think about what you walked what we walked into yeah. and and the the flourishing vibrant well-oiled machine that is the Iowa Wild these things do not happen overnight uh, they do not happen over one season over two seasons they happen over well, let's see for me it was coming into year 8 you came in for for year 9 mm -hmm. um that that it takes time to create organizations like this and she along with a, a small list of maybe five or six other people are, are most responsible for for what fans, for what we see now as the Iowa Wild. So I just, I had a real, real joy listening to her tell these stories, and you could tell she enjoyed rehashing some of those memories mm -hmm. too. Yeah, as best she could. Yep. You know, <laughs> she, she laid it out early. Yeah. She's like, yeah. my memory is not yeah. great, um, which I would I would echo the same sentiment. Sometimes my memory can 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 put me in the wrong direction as well, especially when it comes to experiences. Sometimes stats and player names, I, I should be good at sure. that. Um, but specific memories, yeah, they can be a little little jaded or not jaded. They can be a little blended or blurred, and she brought that up as well. But um, still really enjoyable to chat with her, and, and I think our fans will, especially the ones that have been here for 10 seasons uh, she's now. She's a fan favorite. They, yes, mean, exactly. Game days, I mean, she's obviously got a lot of things to do, a lot of things to keep an eye on, but game days, I, she's constantly talking to season ticket holders and uh, – our, our fans are big fans of Allie, and I think we are here as well. Let's hear from Allie Brown, Vice President of Business Operations for the Iowa Wild. On to period two, and it is my privilege to get to introduce to all of our Ride in the Bus listeners and viewers the Vice President of Business Operations and a day one employee, Allie Brown. Allie, we've been looking forward to this episode for a while. We, we, we talked about it beforehand, episode 10. We figured a 10-year venture in this podcast for this episode, and we figured there's nobody better than to talk about 10 years with the Iowa Wild than you, so welcome aboard. Thank you. Happy, happy to be on. So when you were thinking about coming on, what did you think it was going to look like? You'd not been down here to see the, the setup. You'd probably only listened and maybe watched a couple on YouTube. What was running through your head before you? the wheels in the bus started turning? <laughs> I nice. like that pun. Nice. That was good. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, was on the phone when I got down here. And so I briefly walked through and looked good, the setup, but not really sure what to expect. You got me right on. Got off the phone, sat down. We're in. So there's a lot we want to cover, uh, but... I think the best way we could start this whole thing is really to, to start at the beginning uh, for you. Your story is a fantastic one. Um, getting to know you over the last two years has been terrific, but everybody that I spoke with to try to dig up, one, dirt, didn't get really much of any of it, but I got a little bit, oh um, and, and two, just stories about what it was like working with you. Uh, people like Joe O'Donnell come to mind, obviously, to get some, to get some fun stories about you. But And the one thing I hear from everybody is literally came in, at a very entry-level spot, and here you are essentially running the organization. So walk us through getting into pro sports, because I know for you it wasn't always pro sports when you were coming out of college. That wasn't maybe right away what you thought you were going to be going into, and here you are now running an American Hockey League franchise. Yeah. Um, first of all, when you said you dug up some dirt, the first person I thought of was Joe O'Donnell. <laughs> it's like, I bet Joe gave you something. Um but yeah, going back to how I got started, um, I went to the University of Iowa for college. Um, I got I got an internship working in sports, and so that was really my first taste of uh, sports, and it was really in sales. It was in um, 
premium seating sales and promotion. And from there, I really, I just loved the passion that the fans brought to the arena. Um, my goodness, some wrestling, I, I worked wrestling events. I worked um, some basketball for both men's and women's and the wrestling fans were definitely the most passionate fans. Um, but whether, you know, wins or losses, they were just really excited to be there. And so I think that's my spark um, when it comes to sports and working in sports. But with that said, when I graduated, um, I went out of sports. Um, I got a job at the Register Media working in advertising and really as um, an advertising coordinator working with clients um, to come up with their advertising campaigns. And a few months in, knowing I wanted to get into the marketing side, there was an opening on marketing. They really actually just asked for volunteers to help them out in their department. And so I volunteered. Um, and then a few months into that, I they hired me um, full-time in the marketing department. And so I worked with negotiating um, contracts, uh, placing advertising spends, um, really just like your media planner and buyer. And I learned a lot through that through that job, but that's also how I met Todd. Um, and knowing the team was coming to town, want you know, loving that that sports, um, you know, the working in the sports world. Um, I kind of jumped from from working in marketing and advertising and, and jumped into hockey, which I didn't know much about. Um, but I, you know, kind of the rest is history. That was actually one of the first questions I wanted to get to. Tell us what you knew about hockey before you became a hockey person, <laughs> because I've heard it was not very much. Oh, yeah, it wasn't as near nothing. I watched <laughs> the Mighty Ducks. Um, I knew it was a sport on ice, you know, and I... I'm a pretty athletic person. I, I played sports growing up. I I've seen you golf. I've seen you golf. I'm not a great golfer, but I do athletic. enjoy. <laughs> I do enjoy um, being outside, and, and I love being active. But I knew nothing about hockey. I had never been on skates before, um, and all has changed since then. So. Speaking of change, and I, you and I have talked about this away from the cameras before. Take us through the comparison to what the Iowa Wild looks like right now and what it looked like 2013-14 in its inception season. Yeah. Uh, I guess how much time do we have? Yeah, <laughs> it's changed a lot. Um, you know, right off the bat, I remember coming in in 2013 and we didn't have desks. We had folding tables. We had folding chairs. Um, there weren't processes set up or anything like that. So it was a lot of, you know, growing not only who we were as the Iowa Wild and our culture, but like specifically building our offices out. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work um, just on the, the, the surface of it, of all the office buildings or office spaces. Um, our staff was probably about half the size at that time too. Um, and, and when I came in, it was mid July, the season started October 12th, I think was opening night. Um, we didn't have a lot of time to get up and running from scratch. And so it was just very, a lot of late nights, a lot of people trying to help out in other departments, um, which is something that I tried to do too. Coming in as an office manager, uh, a lot of it was helping with finance, financial processes and being the liaison between our Minnesota finance department and here, same with HR, hiring people um, and hiring game day staff. We didn't have any staff at that point for game day. So it was, it was a lot to get up and running. Um, so, I mean, looking back from day one to now, it's, I, I just, I feel like we're in a better spot to, be able to launch into new promotions, new ideas, um, really have fun here in the market and grow the sport of hockey, um, which was our goal from day one, is to grow the sport of hockey in Iowa and in Des Moines. Um, you know, and, and, and looking back to with how we were perceived from day one compared to now, um, I mean, walking through the grocery store, I remember wearing an Iowa Wild shirt 
which was our script logo. So we would get who is the wild Iowa all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't get that question anymore. No, I don't either. You see people wearing jerseys. You see people wearing hats all the time, um, Iowa wild shirts. And so I think the, the perception of our brand has changed from year one to now. We're no longer the team that's, you know, coming in new that, you know, two other teams have failed before. Um, we're part of the community. People see our brand in a, a positive light. So I think that's a huge change for us from, from 2013 to 2022. So you, you've worn many hats in this organization. So you started as an office manager. You're now the VP of business operations. In between that, you spent time on the community side. You did things with marketing and advertising. You did game ops. Had um, your job. Yeah, had my job. Like, <laughs> of, of all these different hats that you wore, which one have you liked the most? Oof. Ooh. You know, th- they seem like they kind of just all mesh together at some point. Um, I think it was, gosh, it's hard to say. I, I loved them all. There was, it honestly was like a good way of growing and building bit by bit um my first role after office manager and and in the office manager role I really I learned all the departments and the aspects of the business and I met people up in Minnesota and so it it gave me a good base knowledge of how the organization operates um which I think really set me up to then grow and learn more into the specific departments. So then from there, um, our game ops manager, our very first one um, left in January that first year. And so I think that was really my first um, kind of role in the game ops side of things is um, we had somebody else come in. I was able to support that person. Um, and later um, manage that department. Um, But it's really the advertising and the game ops that came first. And so I loved working on the the game ops side of things. It's it's where you can showcase the organization. It's where the fans see you all the time. They come to the games. Um, You know, everybody's hard work goes into making the events as best – you know, perceived by the fans as possible and the most fun as possible. So I think working on that side gave me a lot of insight into how much work goes into it, um, how every single person in the organization, whether, you know, you're doing sales or marketing or broadcasting or whatever it is, you're all, it's one goal to get that game um, built behind the scenes and um, to showcase what you can to the fans. So I think if I had to say one, it would probably be that initial one um, where I learned just a ton about um, the game and events planning. Isn't it interesting how someone who's risen to a level like you've risen to would still answer the question with that first job, right? It's interesting how at the time, I'm sure you look at, I want to move, I want to move on from this. I want to grow, but here you are and you look back and, and, and think of how grateful you are for that time. And, and Allie, I, I think about the leader that you've become and the leader that we've all seen you become. And I think about all these different experiences you've had and how you do have a grasp on quite literally everything that happens within the organization, how that's made you the leader that I always say you lead from the front. And, and that is such a great leader to have you sprinkle in all these different ingredients to your past and it makes you the leader you are. But I'm sure some of those ingredients were some really mundane tasks at times, whether it's getting to the rink early to, to sweep up something or to clean up something. I'd imagine you have a memory or a few that you think about. Mm. I can't believe that I did this at one point as a member of the organization, but here you are and it's helped lead you to where you are now. Any stories that come to mind when I say, what's maybe the most mundane, strange basic level task that you had to do throughout your time now 10 seasons with the wild oh gosh um you know i don't know i mean there's a there's a ton of tasks that are just something that the full team needs to do to get something done um you know we still probably fold pocket schedule boxes um there are you know for teddy bear toss we're counting teddy bears one by one um 
things like that come to mind, but it, not necessarily mundane, but something that I didn't really know what I was doing um, that I just did to help out was I remember year one um, taking, we had two players that um, came from Canada who didn't have bank accounts set up and they needed to set up bank accounts for their paychecks. Um, and I was like, I, you know, I will go take you to the bank. I will help you out, but I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I can't answer your questions about what account to set up. They'll have to do that. So I'm pretty sure it was Zach Mitchell. And then there was one other, Brady Brassert, um, who I drove to the Wells Fargo Bank and, like, sat with them um, off to the side while they got their banks, um, bank accounts set up. I just, like, little things like that that, I just never thought I would be involved in, but it helped me understand um, just the different aspects of the business. Um, and on that side of, you know, that was the hockey op side of things too, is, um, you know, how what players need to do if they're not from the U.S. to in order to, you know, play in the U.S. and get their paychecks cashed and, and whatever they needed to do. But um, it's just tasks like that that are you know if you think of working in a business job or what I was doing at register media it was just kind of a cool uh, task to do thing to help out with that I would never have pictured doing yeah that makes there's some I'm sure we've all got stories like that I know we talked about um, we talked about with Bill Guerin trying to find stories like that and Steve Eisman having to drive guys up and down Michigan over the border and things like that. Going back to that first season, talking, I mean, we're roughly over a month out from opening night for their, our 10th anniversary season. What do you remember about opening night of the inaugural season back in 2013? Like, what stands out to you? Is there anything that, like, still sticks out in your mind to this day? Anxiety. <laughs> Probably anxiety. I... I don't have the greatest memory, to be honest. Um, there are many years just kind of like meshed together. Um, that bodes well for a lot of my questions. So that, that's <laughs> yeah. great. I love oh, good. that. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, I don't know how great my answers are going to be with this. but We'll find out. Yeah. I I do remember being pretty excited. It was my very first game. I think that was probably the first hockey game I've ever seen um, was our game. So it was I, I do remember winning. I remember um, the old video board, and we did a um, pyrotechnics underneath the video board uh, for the starting lineup. I know there were things that did not go well our first um, in terms of production. I don't know how, if, if the fans perceived that, but I know there were a lot of things um, that were like, oh, no. Like, if, if it happened now... Um, it would be a big deal. And it was the first year we had a few months to, to start up. So it was just kind of, that was your first shot at, you know, the perception of the fans. So it was like one of those moments where you're like, oh no, um, but we won. And so I think winning kind of takes Masks away a, everything else. Yeah, yeah. a lot of those, those pieces that may not have been seen by fans, but, um, yeah, I think it was stressful for a lot of our staff. I do remember that. I remember it being fun. Um, I remember for a while I was kind of floating around to um, different areas just to see who needed help and what departments. Um, you know, I would always go up to the booth with Joe O'Donnell and really just listen to him talk about hockey, um, you know, on the air and try to understand it more. So I do remember those things from early on, but yeah. How much was the fact that Des Moines had seen the Texas or the Iowa Stars became mm-hmm. the Texas Stars and then the Iowa Chops fail? How much was that talked about as you were leading into building this franchise and not making the same mistakes, doing things differently? And maybe if you can remember, what was identified as here are some of the things we need to do differently because it, the Chops and the Stars didn't do this and obviously they are no more. I don't remember talking about it a lot as internally for our staff. Like it, that wasn't a big piece of like, we need to do better than these teams. Um, it was talked a lot about by, by media, by Mm -hmm. fans. 
um, we just didn't have a lot of confidence from the the Des Moines Metro um, from our community yet. And so one of the things that we did differently um, is really just ingrain ourselves within the community. Um, we were at as many events and festivals getting our brand and our name out as possible. Um, we, I remember being at farmer's markets and doing like street team events. Um, we didn't have crash yet either. He did not exist until I think February. So it was a lot of our staff getting out there with our brand on, um, trying to get some of the players initially to come out. I think we did a, um, a couple of the Minnesota players. I think Ken Darcy Kemper was one of them. Um, I can't remember who was the other, um, but they came and did, you know, an event, um, which was the event I, I met Todd at for the first time. But I came to that event, um, and so there was just a lot of a lot of events, um, and just we were really trying to be different in that in that circumstance, and and really showcase that we care about being in Des Moines. We want to be in Des Moines long term. We're invested. Um, so I think from the very beginning, that was that was the you know driving home. Um, goal for us and then growing the sport of hockey too I mean I, I told you guys I didn't know anything about hockey um, from northwest Iowa um, I think Sioux City was the closest and they're an hour and a half away maybe for me um, but there's not a lot of opportunity to play hockey not a lot of opportunity to get on skates um, at all and so I think coming in knowing that about the state of Iowa um, allowed us to really focus on that too and growing the sport and just getting people on skates. Looking back, I mean, now you're 10 years from this ingraining ourselves in the community. Is there something that when you look back stands out as like, this is, this is what really propelled us in the right direction? Was it something would tame the hunger? Was it the, uh, the hockey days in Iowa? Is there is some of the community ranks? Is there a piece to the community side of it that really vaulted us to where we are today? I think it was a little bit about all of those things and, and just continually growing that. Um, I don't think there's any one thing that's like, we did this and now we're, we're here. Um, it's, it's continuing to build, but those programs um, for sure led us to, to where we're at now. The reading programs in the schools, the floor hockey program, um, doing hockey days was super fun. Um, I think it was fun for our staff. It was fun for the state of Iowa. Aside from it being freezing miserably outside. Miserably cold. Yeah. I think our entire staff got sick after that event. Really? Um, <laughs> it, it was it was cold. Uh, but it was worth it, and, and it was a lot of fun uh, to put on a lot of work in the middle of the season, too. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then growing our community rinks, it's – it's nice to be able to go out there with, um, you know, myself, but it's also nice to see kids out there skating on the weekends or at night after school. Um, so that, that program has really grown hockey, I believe. Um, the crash course program is a lot of fun to see. And it's a lot of fun to hear those stories too of, hey, I, the first time I got on skates, or the first time my kid got on skates was at the crash course program. And now they're playing in leagues. Um, they're in Des Moines youth hockey and they're, you know, they're traveling around to play games. So I think that's another component to our growth of, of, you know, hockey in this community. So I think a little bit of all of those things. Joey asked about the turn community wise. I'm, I'm curious if you can remember, was there a turning point for the franchise where maybe you looked back or you got done with a game or you got done with a season and you went, we're not just the fledgling team that doesn't have desks anymore. We're, <laughs> we're a, we, we feel like we're really a part of the league now. We're here to stay. Was there a point where you can remember thinking, boy, all of a sudden we're, we've really legitimized ourselves, and, and maybe what were some of the things that led up to that, to the, that moment for you? I think after, you know, first off, the first couple of years were rough on the ice. 
And so we really focused on community. We focused on game operations. We focused on um, providing a good experience for our fans outside of, you know, on the ice. And so I think the focus on that, um, little by little, you could really see how we were building the business side um, and building the fan experience. So, it, and, and then, you know, year two, I think we won the fan experience award. Um, so I think that propelled us a little bit um, into let's do more. Let's let's build this more. Let's focus on our experience um, and do some fun new things when it comes to the game production. Um, it helped getting a new scoreboard too. A couple years mm-hmm. in, um, it might have been year two or three. I well, it was right before the NHL preseason game, so it was not until 2018. But anyways, um, I think some of of those pieces really helped us grow. Um, one in particular I could think of that we were just really excited about was after the cam concert. Um, we had, I think the biggest crowd to date at that time when we hit the cam concert and it was just, it was a new promotion, new promotion for the market, but also new promotion for us. Um, it went really well in terms of, just the the behind the scenes event, everything went really smooth. Um, fans were excited. We got new season ticket holders because of it, um, and all of this when the team wasn't playing so great. Um, so I think just having something for the staff to rally around, getting a big crowd in Wells Fargo, um, it really felt like it it was a turning point in a sense. Is hey now we're now we're doing this now we're cooking now we're rolling. And the awards started falling after you mentioned the best fan experience. That's 2014, 15, 16, 17, social media department of the year, 18, 19, best fan experience, social media team of the year, team of the year in the AHL. Uh, they really started to compound after you get that first one. What do you remember from those seasons? What do you remember some of the campaigns, whether it's marketing, whether it's in arena, that really helped drive success that not only you could feel and the team could feel, but obviously the hockey community felt with some national acclaimed awards there from the American Hockey League? Yeah, I think we really started honing in on wanting to be, and and we did really from the beginning, but um, we wanted to be a professional team. We wanted to put together an NHL product at an AHL arena, an AHL, um, for an AHL team. And, and so we really focused on, on building that, um, you know, from marketing campaigns to the production of our graphics to our, um, video as well. And I think when I think back to some of those campaigns in the early seasons, um, our video production was probably some of the best in the AHL at that time because we, we did bring on Trilex um, and we created some of the best intro videos. And then um, we started this developing series. So I think we had developing Tuck. Alex Tuck was one of our first ones. Um, so I think some of that brought a lot of that professional brand imagery to who we were. Um and, and just started kind of snowballing from there. Um, you know, I also, when I, when I think back to those years, we had a lot of talent, um, you know, when it comes to our social media, um, when it comes to like the game production is we had a, a lot of talent in here and a lot of these folks are off to, you know, NHL teams now and, and thriving there. So um, that's, pretty exciting to see but it's also a lot of good memories um when it comes to to building who we are today nhl product for an ahl team i might start using that i really like that line that's uh, well, that's I a proper the, i use it all the time in the marketing office yeah it's so. a proper representation of what goes on here uh we, we've talked a lot about the team ali i want to ask you a couple questions about about you as well one thing that when when i think about the pattern that you have have had and, and where you've come from what has, has 10 seasons 
taught Allie Brown about Allie Brown. What have mm -hmm. you learned about yourself through this decade of the journey that you, you're still on today? Yes. Um, yeah, I can, I can handle a lot. I have learned a ton. Um, I have learned that, you know, it's, I, I just love it. I love the, the challenges. Every day is completely different. Um, and that's something that I love every day is an, a new challenge. Um, when I think about potentially other roles that I could be in in other industries, um, there's not one that I can I can really pinpoint that would be like like working in sports. Um, you know, even from I was just talking to our game ops manager about this, but um, as simple as like the glass coming out in warmups, which has never happened in, in the first eight seasons that happened in season nine. And just, you know, in that moment, like not knowing exactly what to do and having to, um, kind of figure it out behind the scenes, you know? Um, so I think every day it, I'm still learning, which is, is, is a lot of fun. And so I don't, I know that I'm, I love that. Um, it's one thing that I've wanted to, have in a role in a um, in a career is the ability to continue to grow every day and this allows me to do that so giving people i mean that that's one thing that i think you've done a pretty good job with as as a leader giving people that opportunity to grow and give them that you know that experience what if, on the leadership side of things i mean is that something that has is that came naturally to you did you learn that kind of some of those intangible skills from other people. I mean, you've had a lot of people working for you go on to those NHL jobs. And so what is it about that that's kind of given those people those opportunities? Yeah, I think um, maybe a little bit of that comes naturally, but I also have learned a lot from Todd too. Um, really kind of giving me the uh, resources I needed to learn and grow. And so... Um, you know, I think, I think I'm an empathetic person by nature and I really care about people and their goals. And so in, in terms of me as a, as a person and myself, like maybe coming naturally, I think that's, that's something that as, as I manage and lead people, I truly do care about them. I, um, you know, I want them to succeed. I want them to grow, um, and reach their goals. Um, and I've also been, given that too, as, um, you know, as, you know, uh, I guess for, for Todd, um, being my leader, he's given me that, um, that support to grow. And so kind of, uh, mirroring that a little bit, um, and also being who I am as, as an individual, um, it's really fun to see people succeed. It's really fun to be a part of that journey. Um, I, there's, there's just so many people who have gone on to do great things. I want people to stay here, of course, mm -hmm. and, and never leave. Um, but it's also fun to see them succeed and, and do what they want to do and, and to look back on this as a good experience and a good growth opportunity. Speaking of watching people succeed, being someone that has grown to the levels that you've grown to, that has become the, the leader that you've become, as a female in sports. That's something that in 2013, I'd imagine the landscape looked a lot different than what it looks like now. And you're a testament to that. You've helped grow, you've helped expand that. Can share with us what you've noticed about how the landscape has, I would hope, changed for the better since you came into sports in 2013, being a female in sports. Yeah, I, I think you're starting to see a lot more females in leadership roles, um, not only in sports, but in other industries too. And it's, I think it's starting to become more of a, a normal, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's, it's tough seeing that stuff in the, in the news of like, Hey, this, this female just got an executive role. It shouldn't be news. It should just be the normal. Um, so I think it's it's just it's becoming that. Well, Allie, can't thank you enough for having you on. Uh, we knew this would be a great chat, and it most certainly was. So thanks a ton for parking some time for us. We know your time is very precious. We really enjoyed it. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun uh, rehashing some of the, the past nine years, and I'm looking forward to the next 10. A massive thanks to Allie Brown, Vice President of Business Operations, for talking with us. And unfortunately, we lost part of that podcast recording, which I was, I almost just laughed after I saw that we had recording issues. Yep. Of course, it's the one time we normally have a backup. We couldn't do a backup this time. The one time we have issues is when we don't have the backup. And yep. It's funny, in the lost archives, which we could call it that. She talked about having a plan B to a plan B. So she's probably sitting up there if she's listening to this going, Yeah. Shame on you for not having a plan B. That's I mean why that's, we're that's always why, prepared. Yeah, correct. And and we were not. But nonetheless, still a great chat with Allie and a uh, huge thanks to her for sitting down with us. As we all know, her time is immensely precious. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get on her calendar yep. sometimes and those yep. are and that's coming from two people who she tries to get on our calendar because we need to be talking with her a lot. Yep. So uh, immensely precious time and a great conversation with Allie. Um, to finish today, I have a bone to pick with you as the commissioner of the <sighs> Iowa Wild Floor Hockey League. Yep. Not not as a teammate, not as a teammate or a draft pick. This is commissioner a, your commissioner on. hat yeah. is yeah. on. I knew this was coming. So let's, let's hear it. Uh, so for those that have been keeping score at home, which no, maybe nobody is, but maybe a few people are, we had the final game plan for last week. Yeah. Uh, and because of our gambling scandal in week three, this was for all the marbles because week three did not count, even yep. though we won that game. Yeah. So it was for all the marbles mm-hmm. and – Boy, when did the email come out? It was not long before I thought the game was scheduled to begin. Maybe my memory, is, as, we, as we talked about in the intro, is, is blending here. But an email comes out that says, uh, due to scheduling conflicts, the game will not be played today. And by default, Team No Yelling on the Bus has been crowned champions. No ceremony, nothing. It was just like it never even happened. And I'm sitting down here in my office, and I'm reading this. And I, I mean, I was in my shorts. I was in my shirt. I, I practically had my. I was practically typing in my gloves all day because I could, as we all know, you could, could get my fingers out through yeah, my holy, my whole yeah, yeah. holy gloves. And I was blown away by the level of just at the amateur level of how that all came about, especially from someone that has put forth so much effort in the, in the legitimacy of the press releases, the legitimacy of the league. It was a catastrophic ending to what I otherwise thought was a really strong campaign from you and your, your team. Also your co-commissioner just left mid season. Yeah. So you had that too. I mean, There, right. there might be a, right. there might be a right. probe into the commissioner's so office about what happened. Is so it was a, just disaster. Here's the deal, coming from the commissioner's office. All right, listen, I was. Ju- what was your official statement? It's not my fault. Wasn't that your official yeah. your official statement to the media? Was it's, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was just as disappointed as everybody else was when news broke. Um, I probably caught wind of this potentially being an issue on Monday. Um, and I realized that the league office put something out pretty pretty late, uh, probably a couple hours shy of game time on Thursday. But that's only because we were diligently trying to make sure this game still got played. Uh, caught wind of it about Monday. Uh, as, as many of you who watch this may know, we had a season ticket holder event on Thursday night. They were watching Miracle, like a drive-in style, go play games, watch the movie Miracle. Great event, by the uh, way. Which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but with that, I mean, it's a season ticket holder event, so a large majority of our ticket holder, our ticket staff had to be there. Sure enough, a large part of our floor hockey league is also made up of ticket sales staff. So I think I knew we were maybe going to run into some issues. And we also had people who were out of town, weren't going to be available. I think when I looked at the rosters, I think our team was fine. We had plenty of people. We even recruited Alec Lesnar, the new media relations manager, to play for our team, which I threw out there. I said to everybody, I said, hey, this guy's a free agent. 
you, you might want to try to recruit him. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to right the other away. side. And I know right you away. were on it right yeah. away. Instantaneously. Uh, he, he, he even told me he was told he could not play for another team. It's true. Um, so you kind of I flexed. I flexed kinda, a little there. You kind of flex the uh, "I'm your boss, you do what I say" <laughs> kind of thing, which is hey, whatever works. Let it float your boat. But we had enough people. The other team is was was tickets ticket staff heavy, and uh, they had people uh, people who were out sick. They had they said you know uh, I got a lot of work to catch up on before I leave for uh, the movie event. And then we had guys that they didn't want to show up to the movie event all sweaty. We had guys that That's kind of, not a valid excuse. They said they were going to have to leave 30 minutes into the game. And I was like, you know what? This isn't going to work. There's no way we're going to be able to play. So we're going to have to cancel it. And unfortunately, there was no plan B, like Allie said, because the, the dates to which we could set up and play floor hockey in this building were limited because now we've got shows and whatnot coming in. And our goal was to have this league done before – you know, before Labor Day hits. Doing the parking lot. I, I have – where my qualms are is there was – was there just – was there no investigating how else we could finish the league? It was just, ah, we'll just nah, – now we'll just – we'll give the trophy away. It, to me, it, there was you know nothing what? was exhausted. All right. Nothing it's, was exhausted. Ah, we can't play there. We can't play anywhere else. Fine. I knew the parking uh, lot. Know, that's a big parking lot I know out front. It's a big parking lot. I know the building. There just wasn't a lot of space in the building to play. Also, out here is cemented at Wells Fargo Arena. That would be cool. <laughs> all right, listen, everybody. I was unaware that that was all cemented. Every time I've been down here, the football turf is in, and they've been done for a month. But the turf was still down, so I assumed that wasn't going to be an option. Listen, could I? Did I drop the ball? Yeah, all right. Could I have made more of an effort to find a way to get this game done? Yeah. Is it still a possibility? I guess maybe. So maybe? now you're going to go back on the official league I, word that you put out. If I'm just going to be getting <laughs> flack from you two nonstop, then like maybe. This is... This is such a calamity. We did have, I had we a trophy have ready to go. Every camera is chiming in about. I had this a trophy now. ready to go and everything. Listen, I, I, I'm just as disappointed as you guys. You are under fire. I'm under fire. And listen, if I if there needs to be a, a vote to remove me as commissioner going into next season, that's okay. I'd like to hear from the fans. Should I will, we vote to I remove will Joey as say, commissioner. Listen, let me let me just state my case. We can have the vote. But I'm gonna state my case as a commissioner and why I should not be removed from my my role. I lost my assistant to the commissioner halfway through the season, which is a problem because, uh, as everybody knows, the assistant to the commissioner does all the duties, as basically. Uh, the commissioner is the face. The assistant does all the work. It happens in the NFL. It, you know, it's, <laughs> it happens in Michael Scott in the office. The, you know, everybody knows the commissioner. It's just it's the, the guy's running it for him. So my, my assistant commissioner left, which is a problem because – Commissioner's schedule gets pretty busy. There's a lot of things that I got to get done, and uh, this was just something I just didn't have the time to look into, unfortunately. Um, but I will say, if you are thinking about impeaching me as the commissioner, uh, you're not going to find anybody who puts in the the effort that I did. I mean, you're, we're getting recaps. We're making. We had a draft. I mean, we're not. Your next commissioner is just going to be like, man, just go out and play. Have fun. We'll see. Everybody. Play. Only time will tell Only on time that. Listen, if you want my to final me, comment on the whole thing, on let's go back to episode. This is like I feel eight? like I'm talking to my buddies playing fantasy football. No, episode home. seven. I don't. If you don't want to make have me be the commissioner, that's fine. Someone else could take it. All I'm all my final comment, and then we're going to wrap. Is let's go back. I think it was was it episode seven, Bill Guerin? Uh, Bill Guerin episode. Yeah. Okay. When when I asked him about duties he's had to take on because things fell through the cracks. What did he say? It always falls back on you. As the leader, as the head of an organization, it always falls back on you. And your official statement was, it's not my fault. Yeah, so that is all. That is the last we're going to just say things, on it. There are nope, just things the that are out of your control when you're running a floor hockey Bill Guerin would never everything. Bill Guerin would never say it's not my fault. Yeah, Even if it wasn't his fault, he wouldn't say that. That's because Bill Guerin's too good to be running a floor hockey league. <laughs> like, what are we doing? I mean, listen, my hands were tied. 
People were sick. I can't not have people get sick. I can't move season ticket holder events so he can play. But could have found a way to finish the season, even if it wasn't that day. I think that moving that day was understandable, but we didn't find – for example, we couldn't do the podcast last week, but we still did it this week. Dead air. Okay. Nothing. Give me two honks for the win. Nothing. Get me out of here. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, in all seriousness, uh, thanks to everybody who made this podcast possible today. Marquise Jones is always doing our uh, editing, as well as Jeremy Core with Executive Podcast Solutions. Also, Allie Brown, of course, for that time and a great chat with her. And last but not least, Joey Goldstein for doing a great job on the podcast and a subpar job as the commissioner of the Iowa Wild Floor Hockey League. Uh, until next time, I'm Ben Gislason. Thanks for tuning in. And despite the angst between Joey and I right now, two honks for the win. Thank you.